Good morning. We are in our last message on the series, God is Closer Than You Think. Yes, you still have to listen to me next week, but this series will be over. I think we all know that children learn differently, right? They don't all learn the same way. You've got uh, some kids that learn well with books. Other kids learn well by interaction with people. And, and then you've got some kids who like the hands-on learning. It shouldn't be a surprise, but often it is, that people grow in spirituality differently. For instance, sorry, uh, Calvin, John Calvin, uh, who wrote a phenomenal book on on uh, the Christian faith. Uh, he was an intellectual. He, he grew uh, by intellectually uh, thinking things through. You have monks and nuns who live in convents and monasteries, and they grow in community with one another. It's the community of living together and sharing life that causes them to grow. You've got the ascetic monks, uh, one of these guys like St. Anthony, uh, who, who lives in caves. And they practice silence and solitude. And that's how they develop spiritually. You have social reformers, Christians who are social reformers. And they grow by serving others. We are not all alike. People grow in their experience of God differently. But we've tried, unfortunately, we've tried, typically tried in the church today, at least in, in our country, to give a one-size-fits-all approach to spiritual growth. The author Gary Thomas writes this, All too often, Christians who desire to be fed spiritually are given the same generic, hopefully all-inclusive methods, usually some variation on a standardized quiet time. Why? Because it's simple, it's generic, and it's easy to hold people accountable to. But for many Christians, it's just not enough. Been there? I know I have. Because God has made us to be different from one another, we are not all identical in the activities and the practices that will help us connect with him. We have different spiritual pathways. Now, a spiritual pathway has to do with the way we most naturally sense God's presence, and experience spiritual growth in our life. We all have at least one pathway that comes most easily to us. We also have one or two that are most unnatural to us and require a lot of effort to stretch us if we're going to pursue those in any meaningful way. But there's a lot of freedom 
in identifying and embracing your spiritual pathway. You can focus on relating to God in the way for which you were made, while at the same time recognizing your need to stretch in certain areas that probably don't come naturally to you. There are a number of different pathways. I'm going to cover six that are our most general, but there's more. Many of us, many of us have had some involvement in all of these pathways, but usually there are certain ones that resonate with you. These are the ones that may open up a whole new level of connection between you and God. However, each pathway has certain dangers as well as benefits that I'll talk about. As I go through these six pathways, your job is to think about your life and which one of these seems to really resonate with you in terms of how you have con felt connected to God, how you have experienced God's presence in your life. Because for me to go through this as an academic exercise, just talking about six pathways, and, and you not connecting with one of these pathways, absolutely worthless, isn't it? Because as soon as you walk out the door, you're going to forget the six pathways. Which one resonates with you? Which one, when you're doing that, seems to lead you into the presence of God, seems to make that connection between you and God. Here's the first pathway. It's called the intellectual pathway. People on the intellectual pathway draw closer to God as they learn more about Him. Okay? You love to study scriptures. The word theology has the same impact on you that the phrase hot donuts now has on the average customer of Krispy Kreme. Maybe not quite. But when at church you put up with the singing until the sermon starts and then you want meat. Meat, by golly, that's what I want. No fluff, meat. By that you mean intellectual ideas. You want to be made to think. Moses said in Deuteronomy 6.5, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. When Jesus cited this verse in Luke 10, he followed the Septuagint, which was the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, and he added, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. If you're on the intellectual pathway, you're grateful for that addition. And if your dominant pathway is intellectual, you probably got just a little thrill when you heard the word Septuagint. The Apostle Paul was probably on the intellectual pathway. That's how he connected with God. Often Paul will move in the middle of his writing from thinking to praising. 
Like in Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us, thinking, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Praise If you're on an intellectual pathway, the road to your heart runs through your head. You hear God best when you learn. You need to immerse yourself in, in deep thoughts and sound teaching. Many of your significant moments of worship or devotion or decision or repentance came when you were in a deep learning mode in your life. Now the danger of the intellectual pathway is that you can become all head and no heart. Dallas Willard. Anybody heard of Dallas Willard? Anybody? Okay. Y'all need to read Dallas. Dallas was a, an exceptional Christian author. He was a philosophy professor at Southern Cal. And he has wrote some of the most recent classics in how to grow spiritually. Uh, Renovation of the Heart. Uh, oh, what is that other one? I can't think of it. But he's, he's, he's written a number of them. But they're aimed at the people who are on the intellectual pathway. I'm going to let you know that. It's not easy reading, but it's good. He writes that it is extremely difficult to be right and not to hurt anybody with it. Doesn't that make sense? It's extremely difficult to be right about something and not hurt anybody with it. How many people run around hurting people because they think they're right? They've got it right. You're wrong. I'm right. Nobody likes a person who's right all the time. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay, enough said about that. Second pathway, relational pathway. People who follow the relational pathway find they have a deep, deep sense of God's presence when they are involved with significant, in significant relationships with others. Jesus' statement in Matthew 18, verse 20, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them, makes perfect sense to a relational type. They're the small group people. Other community experience. They're the with people people. Those things are indispensable for a relational type. If you are a relational, on a relational pathway, being alone drives you crazy. You sometimes feel guilty when you hear other people speak of long time, times of solitude with God. You think, you know, solitude, you know, wouldn't be so bad if I could just bring a bunch of other people along. <laughs> You've often experienced key spiritual moments like being convicted of sin or encouraged to persevere. Key spiritual moments 
as God speaks to you through other people. Peter probably was on this pathway. He came to Jesus with others. He was part of the inner inner circle or the inner circle of the disciples with James and John, the three of them. After the crucifixion, what did he do? He gathered the disciples together to go fishing. The defining moments of, of his life, his decision to follow Jesus, his confession that Jesus is the Messiah, his caving into legalists, all took place in a relational context. People on this pathway need a relationally rich life. They need to be part of friendships and small groups that are growing in depth and in vulnerability. They find that they themselves are much more likely to practice prayer or acts of service when they can do that in a relational context with others. They stagnate spiritually when they become isolated. Two dangers in the relational pathway. The first is superficiality. It's possible to get spread so thin relationally that no one gets past the, your external mask as to what is really going on. They don't get close enough to really know you, to love you, to challenge you deeply. The second is to become so dependent on others that you live like a spiritual chameleon, simply taking on the colors of the environment you happen to be on it, in at the time. Practices like solitude and silence will be a stretch for you. That's the opposite. But will help free you from getting addicted to what everybody else thinks. Serving pathway. People here find God's presence more tangible when they are involved in helping others. Jesus' command in Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That is a truth that they experience deeply inside of them. They connect with God by serving others. If this is you, you may find that you're somewhat uncomfortable in a setting where you don't have a role to play. But if you can do something, like set up chairs, make coffee, help with decorations, whatever, the fact that you are involved in serving others gives you a sense of God's delight in you. Dorcas from the Bible is an example of this. In Acts, she's mentioned as always doing good and helping others. Mother Teresa served the poor because it brought her joy. She never felt the presence of Jesus more strongly than in those she served. People on this serving pathway find that if they're just attending church, but don't have a place to serve, God starts feeling distant to them. 
They need to have a meaningful place to serve. They can enrich their sense of God's presence in their lives by constantly looking for Him in the people that they're serving. Now, the danger. The danger is they can begin to think that God is only present when they're serving. They can get so caught up in being God's servant that they forget that first of all, they are God's child. They'll have to be stretched by learning to receive love as well as giving it to others. Sometimes people who have a on the service on the service pathway don't receive as easily. They give. They give. They're always giving, always serving. And they also must guard against resenting others who are not serving as much as they are. And I know you've heard those comments. I have heard a lot of those comments in my life. Worship pathway. People on the worship pathway resonate with David who wrote, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, Psalm 122. They have a natural gift for expression, for celebration. Something deep inside them feels released when praise and adoration are voiced. Some of their most formative moments occur during times of worship. In Psalm 73, the psalmist was complaining about how often bad people get all the breaks and how he had kept his nose clean and it had never paid off. Yeah, aren't we like that? Verses 16 and 17, a little further on, say this. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. It was in worship that he experienced again the reality of God's presence. And that presence changed his perspective on everything. If this is you, when you worship, you hope it will go on for hours. That may be a stretch. <laughs> but you hope it will go on for a good period of time. While the intellectual types are sitting there looking at their watches, waiting for this message to start, because by golly, that's the important part of what we're doing here, you're, inten you're internally shouting, Sing it again! <laughs> this is great! Worship opens your heart and you come alive. And sometimes it even ends with tears. And that's okay. That's okay. This was King David. He wrote psalms and poetry to God to be used in worship. He played the lyre and expressed his delight in God through music. He danced before the Lord with, with such exuberance that he pretty much stripped down to his BVDs in the process. Something you probably don't want to emulate, but particularly if you're Dutch. 
which has been the crowd I've been hanging around with for a while. <laughs> Dangers to the worship approach, to the worship pathway. Don't judge people who are not as outwardly expressive as you. Some people are uncomfortable raising a finger, let alone a whole hand in worship. Not everybody dances. Also, guard against an experience-based worship that's always, always looking for the next worship high. You know what I'm talking about? C.S. Lewis did, because he wrote about the fatal sin of saying encore by demanding that God reproduce an experience or an emotion. He said that of all prayers, this may be the one that God is least likely to grant because it can lead us to worship and experience rather than the God to whom our experience points. You've seen it. We can start to judge the worship in our church superficially by always demanding that it produces a certain emotional response. Either a current high or a blast from the past. Contemplative pathway. If this is you, you see that hand? If this is you, the contemplative pathway, you love large blocks of uninterrupted time alone. Reflection comes naturally to you. God is most present to you when distraction and noise are removed. If you get too busy or spend too much time with too many people, you begin to feel drained and stretched thin. You don't require much external stimulation. Making time to listen to God in silence and solitude is vital to the health of your soul, and it is necessary for you to experience a deepening sense of God's presence in your life. You need regular, protected, intense, undistracted time alone. I love my wife. Very much. But I'm not all that disappointed when she goes to Georgia for a week. <laughs> By the end of the week, I'm ready to have her home, but for those first five days are heaven. <laughs> Why? Because that's my time alone, and it's quiet in the house, and there's nothing going on, and I can sit and reflect on life, on God, on, on things. And she understands that. I think. <laughs> I'm getting a stink eye. Maybe she doesn't understand it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, probably the Apostle John was this type of a person. He has been understood as one who loved to simply be 
in the presence and adoration of God. Jesus also made it a priority to build solitude and silence into his own busy life. Just read the Gospels. Jesus went off by himself. Jesus went off by himself. He went off by himself to pray. He did this. That was his silence and solitude time. Reading other contemplatives, such as Henry Nouwen, St. John of the Cross from like the 1500s, Bernard of Clairvaux from like the 1200s, Thomas Merton from the early part of the 1900s, can be helpful to you if you're on a contemplative pathway. Another thing that might be helpful is to start a journal. Because you've got a lot going on inside of you. And it might be very helpful to write it down so you can reflect on it later. It says you may need to stretch in the area of relationships as it will be tempting for you to retreat into your inner world when you suffer disappointments. Involvement in relationships and regular acts of service will keep you tied to the external world in which you live and not just live inside yourself in your internal world. Last one. Creation pathway. Certain types find that they have a passionate ability to connect with God when they are experiencing the world that he made. Being outdoors replenishes and exercises you. Psalm 19, very famous psalm. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night. They display knowledge. People on this pathway see God not only in the spectacular things in nature and creation, such as the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or the Rocky Mountains, but also in the leaf that changes color in the fall or the fresh breeze off Lake Michigan. Being out in creation opens your spirit to God. And you want to spend large chunks of time outdoors. It's often helpful to have times of prayer or meditation in nature. Both Jesus' teaching and the Psalms speak to how much we can learn about God from creation. You're constantly reading about trees and sparrows and mountains and rivers of living water and such like. People on a creation pathway may need to guard against escapism. They may tend to run away to the woods when they get disappointed. I run away into myself. Creationists run away into the woods. Sometimes you'll even hear that phrase, I don't need the church. I can worship God on my own, with no one around, just out in nature. Well, we not only need to see God's beauty in nature, but also in the crown of his creation, which is people. Right? 
So how does all this help us experience God's closeness? First, we need to accept and embrace the unique way God created us, me. Instead of a mass production approach to spiritual growth, we need to make sure that we spend adequate time pursuing the pathway that most helps us connect with God. Understand and build on your pathway. Make sure you incorporate practices that involves this pathway into your normal rhythms of life. Celebrate that this is how God made you and wants to connect with you. It'll take you farther in terms of connecting with God than just going through the one-size-fits-all stuff. Really will. Secondly, resist the temptation to envy somebody else's pathway. It's when you honor your own pathway that you are most likely to grow in your experience of God's presence. And also, don't judge those who are on a different pathway than you are. No pathway, no pathway, hear it again, no pathway is superior to the others. They're just different. And I can see it in the intellectual's minds. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to be studying the Bible. And that's this. And that certainly is superior to going out and messing around in the woods. <laughs> with two responses. I understand what you mean and I agree with what you're saying partially. And the second one is, how do you know? How do you know? Because we're talking about not having great knowledge of stuff. We're talking about how to connect with God. And why can't the people on a creation pathway who's out in God's nature connect with God as much as you do with all your study of theology? It's a question we need to think about. We all need to read the Bible. Okay. We all need to pay attention to pathways that don't come naturally to us. It's important to have some involvement in all of these pathways. No one can ignore the intellectual life, which is what I'm saying, or opt out of worship. If you're a relational type, that doesn't mean you're off the hook for spending some time in solitude alone with God. Remember, relationals are highly susceptible to being overly influenced by others. And solitude, uh, time alone with God, may be just the thing that they need to bring uh, balance to that tendency in their lives. Well, God is closer than you think. And he wants to have a relationship with each of you that is different than the person sitting next to you. John Ortberg tells a story about his grandmother. When anyone asked her which of her six children she loved the most, she said, love for your children doesn't work that way. It's as if when each child is born, 
Another room gets added to your heart and no one else occupies that room. It's theirs alone. And Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. One is yours, and no one else can ever occupy it. And it's furnished by every moment of intimacy and togetherness shared by you and your Heavenly Father. This may have been completely new to some of you in what I'm saying about this. And you may have questions about it. And you may have questions about trying to discern which pathway is yours. Although I think many of us, when we were talking about those things, one of them connected. That's how I really connect with God. Okay. If I can help any of you either try to discern a pathway or what you might do to uh, use a pathway, things you can do, uh, get in touch with me. You know, you can take me out for lunch. I'm on a food pathway. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Okay, but that's serious. Uh, I, would, I would love to sit down if you have some questions or you, you need some help with discernment, Okay. Let's close in prayer. Father God, you have made us so uniquely, so different from one another, and yet we're all your children. Forgive us for trying to force everybody into this one right way in order to grow. And help us to be discerning in our lives about how you've made us and which one of these pathways really seems to be the way that, that we come in contact with you, that we can connect with you, that we can experience your presence in our life. Because that's what we want. That's what we want. The pathway is nothing more then how that might happen. What we want is to experience your presence in our life more and more. Grant us that, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen.